Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast and Happy New Year, it's 2021. Yeah. That was me blowing an imaginary Yay. party blower thing. Yay. <laughs> I guess I mean, it's a reason to celebrate. It's, it's not, not 2020, 2020 anymore. anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not not 2020 also. It feels like just a continuation at some point. But I'll tell you what it is it though, Matt. It's episode 40. It is episode 40. Which is 2020 added together, so in some ways, <gasps> it's just off. Oh, <laughs> well, it's time for the podcast 40. midlife crisis. <laughs> we're all going to buy a big fancy car that we can't afford, uh, and we're going to take up tennis or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, buy I... a ride in Dalek on eBay. <laughs> I can't afford any of those things, so... You know, Not even a ride-in Dalek. <laughs> uh, potentially depends. Aren't all Daleks ride-in Daleks? I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> in universe, they're all yeah. Canonically, <laughs> I mean, that really tickled me. You could sit on top of a Dalek, right? Like yeah, it could a be a ride-on Dalek. Yeah. Oh, haven't even done the intros yet. We're already in. Yeah, yeah. Here we are. I've got the episode title already. Canonically, um, ride-in Dalek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are here, of course, uh, back with a brand new year of games which haven't come out yet. So we can't talk about those. But what we can talk about are the games that we might have played over the break and the games we're looking forward to coming up. Uh, board games, RPGs, all sorts of stuff. What is on the tabletop? <laughs> so <laughs> uh, let's let's kick off. Of course, I haven't even introduced us because I've been so excited to get back into uh, the podcast. But I'm Matt Jarvis. I'm of course joined by two of the team this week. Joined by Michael Wheels, Will and Wheels. Hello, Michael Wheels, Will and Wheels here, wheeling yeah. along at the speed of wheels. <laughs> new year, new name. Just going to add wheels every time. <laughs> oh, it's like Roman God. numerals. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm part of the video team, of course, um, and I have actually played some board games. <gasps> I am very, very excited to announce. <laughs> All it took was like two weeks of holiday yeah. to, to play some games. <laughs> and of course, we're joined by Alex Meehan. Hey! Uh, back, with, <laughs> I, oh. back with a half side side to, <laughs> side to side look. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to mix it up. Yeah, mm. uh, if Wills is out on the streets, I'm in the chopper. Or on the chopper, maybe. You are right chopper. On chopper. Chopper the droid. <laughs> I'm not chopper the droid, but maybe I'm sat on top of chopper as he's driving around. Ride right on chopper the droid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throwback to 2020's greatest hero, chopper the droid. Yeah, yeah. Chopper the droid. Bring it the back. The only hero from 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dolly Parton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about chopper the droid now oh dolly parton's been a hero every other year it's time it's time she gave gave somebody else a spotlight yeah maybe they could do a variety show together i'd watch it <laughs> chopper 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 <laughs> and all chopper does is just like ride around just slinging out one-liners Anyway, right. well, anyway, yeah, we're here to chat about board games and mm. some other stuff. So let's, uh, Wills, let's jump back to you. What have you? What did you manage to play over the holidays? Okay, I right. Hold on, <gasps> I need to Google something. Well, oh, no. uh, we're doing some research live on air <laughs> right now. It's wild. Okay, apparently it's pronounced Nefertafel. Oh, I, right, yeah. I have been playing Nefertafel, um, which is. Uh, a game that predates chess and was commonly played by Vikings, apparently. 
Um, but it was a gift from my brother because he quote said, uh, "You know about every board game that exists right now, but I thought it'd be safer to buy you one that came out like half a century ago, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> uh, half a millennia, whatever it is." Um, oh, God, I genuinely don't know how long it's been. I think it came out in like the fourteen hundreds or something oh, like that. A good year, but yeah. Oh, it's a sixteen hundred year old game. There you go. No, wow. it's a lot, the lot, lot longer than that. There we go. Um, but it is, yeah. It's it's chess like, but it's uh, it's before chess came into into sort of circulation, um, quite a while before probably. Um, but the way it works is you have two players, one black, one white. Much like chess, you play on a, um, I think it's like sixteen by sixteen or something like, or eight by eight or whatever it is, um, square board. Much like chess. Um, however, uh, instead of having two sides where each of the armies are facing each other. Um, this is asymmetric, which is quite exciting, which is not something that you really see in very, very old games all that, all that often. Um, you have what's known as the attackers in black and the defenders in white. And the way the board is set up, um, you have your white players have one piece called the king, and then they have about uh, 12 sort of standard pieces. And then the attackers have no king, but they have 24 uh, pieces and the Whoa. defenders defenders are stuck in the center and the attackers are sort of lining the outside of the board so the goal for the the black team or the attackers is to capture the king and the goal for the white team is for the king to escape via one of the four corners of the board um every piece moves in the same way in like a sort of like a rookwood and chess it can move any amount of spaces sort of orthogonally without jumping over another piece um, and you capture by sort of sandwiching pieces. So if you have like, if you make, you know, if you're playing with a black team, you want to make an Oreo out of them by having mm. black on each side of a white piece, um, sort of like in a in a line rather than in a right angle. Um, and that way you can capture them. But to capture the king, you have to have every single exit for them blocked. So it's really, really interesting because it's sort of, I, so I was playing it with my partner and we were sort of like very sheepishly moving pieces because you can swing all the way across the board of any piece, especially as the black team. You have so much range of movement, which means that like you really have to think about where your pieces are going. So you end up sort of moving in twos almost. Sort of like everyone has to have a buddy, otherwise they get completely surrounded. And it like it has a lot more sort of like battle line tactics than chess does. So I feel like with chess it's always sort of like because there's there's so many different movement patterns, it's all a bit abstract of what's going on. Whereas this felt more like I'm moving a unit of men around. And sometimes they'll charge out and try and get a swing in and stuff like that. But it's it's like very uh, very much more like a traditional battle taking place than the more abstract chess. I think and it's really cool. It's really interesting. I enjoyed it a lot more because I don't like chess. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really interesting. Mm. I don't know if you guys have heard of it before. Yeah, I I've heard of it, but I've I've not really played it very much um, at all. It's always seemed interesting, like you say, because it's a because it's so old. And B, mm. because it's asymmetrical and dates from way back when. It's just, yeah, it's a, a fascinating thing. I think they found, they keep finding sets, don't they? Yeah. Well, so... Neffertaffle? Neffertaffle. Neffertaffle, sorry. <laughs> it sounds like the name of one of Santa's elves or something. <laughs> it's, um... It, like... Well, like a Care Bear is... or something. <laughs> The thing is with it is like the the rules. Like we we had every now and again we'd be like, is that how that works? 
Um, because the rule, obviously, the the box came with a rule set, but it's very much like this is what we think the rules are, <laughs> because you know we don't really know. Um, and also, you know, there's so many variants because it's such an old game. It's split into different parts of the world, and people would you know play it in a different way to somebody you know two countries away from them. Um, so it's like it's tricky to try and solve a rules dispute if you're not entirely sure on how something works. But it is like you can learn it in like a couple of minutes. Like it's it's really uh, really fluid. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's really cool. Mm. So there you go. That's that's Nefertaple, uh, which is spelt because I, I very much doubt anyone would be able to guess by what I'm saying unless they're from a Scandinavian country, maybe. But it's H N E F A T A F L. So when I got the box, <laughs> I tried to read it. It was a struggle. Uh, but apparently, it's pronounced Nefertaple. The other thing I played. Um, well, I should also say actually, whilst we're talking about classic games, I also bought a Go board. Over mm. the break, which I'm planning to learn with my partner again, because uh, they really like abstract games. So I thought we might as well, because like I wasn't expecting that much game time out of Nefertafel, because I thought it would be too chess-like. But actually, they were like, "Oh, I really like this." I was like, "Okay, let's have a look at some of the others then." So I bought a GoBoard. Um, I think GoBoards are really pretty anyway, so they're good to have in the house. Uh, but I also played an RPG. I played Gumshoe One to One. Um, which is a variant of Gumshoe, which, for those who don't know, is like a sort of RPG detective, um, sort of like procedural crime drama style game where you have a group of investigators. It could be, you know, it's it's a uh, setting the system, so it depends on what book you play. So you could be like Cthulhu investigators, you could be spies, you could be all sorts. Um, But Gumshoe itself is sort of a system that was made by someone who played, you know, like D&D and stuff and tried to tell detective stories and realized that they just don't really work. Um, so it's very much a system that is built from the ground up to be able to, you know, investigate crime scenes and have that be like the main thoroughfare of the play. Um, so we're running a game of Gumshoe one-to-one, uh, or I'm running one at the moment, but I think we're going to sort of swap duties. But this one is specifically designed for one GM and one player. Um, we essentially started playing this because I finished Disco Elysium and now we have this massive Disco Elysium-shaped hole in our lives. <laughs> so we're essentially like, we're, I'm running a campaign of Gumshoe 1 to 1 in the Disco Elysium universe um, huh. with like sort of new characters and uh, like in the Jamrock district and all that kind of stuff, which is quite fun and quite exciting. But that is what I have played mm. this Christmas. <laughs> I love Gumshoe. Gumshoe's great. Yeah, it's just such a slick system. Like it's one one d six, just so easy. But it's also it. like I think the main thing I love about it is that you don't have to pass a perception check every time you're <clears> looking <throat> at stuff and whatever. It's just if you yeah. go somewhere and they look at something, they'll know what it is. Um, but if they have a relevant skill, then they'll know the actual details about it. And then you can spend a point in that skill, or in this case, uh, for one to one, they're kind of like catch all points called push points. So you can spend them on anything. Yeah. Um, but with this, you you spend a point and you get an extra bit of information that only you would have gotten by pushing. So you kind of like voluntarily critically succeed, which is quite cool. Yeah, so it's, it was, it's a lot more like resource management almost. Yeah, it feels like a very positive system because, like you say, it's it's almost like yes and yes because it's like okay, you could of course you can do that. You can read Greek, so you can just mm. read Greek. You don't need to roll for it, yeah. and then you get extra stuff rather than just being like, well, I rolled poorly, even though my character should really know this. Yeah, it and just it, feels, it, yeah. it basically certifies that every time you leave a piece of the sort of like, you know, one of the locations where things are, you will always have the 
bare minimum amount of evidence that you need to solve it. Mm. So like there is extra information that you can grab, but you'll always have the minimum, uh, which will help you like get to the end bit and sort of figure out the who done it, mm. which is very cool. That's what I've been mm-hmm. doing. Would you Fantastic. like to very briefly explain to the listeners, Mr. Whelan, what Disco Elysium is? And how, oh, sorry, yeah. And how Disco... that sort of translated into Gumshoe. Yeah, Disco Elysium is, I'm going to say it, one of the best uh, RPGs ever written. It is honestly one of the best games, video games I've ever played. Um, it is a detective-style RPG in which you're playing in a sort of original universe and you're solving a crime. Um, the character that you're playing is is also a complete mess, so you're trying to have to sort of deal with that as you play. Um, and it's it's funny and it's poignant and it's it's like uh, a big think piece. It's it's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. Mm. Uh, and we loved it so much um, because I, I played it with my partner as sort of like a tandem playthrough. Uh, we loved it so much that we j- just couldn't get enough and needed to to fill that hole. So we're just sort of playing in the same universe, but essentially, hmm. um, and reading a lot of Wikipedia's. <laughs> that uh, game system is based off percentages, is it not? Like whether you can hit certain percentage. Uh, oh, you know, you can get this response that you you want from the person. So I'd be yeah, interested this... to think how that works with the gumshoe. Well, so we I've not sort of written any new mechanics for it or anything like that. We're just mm. sort of um, we're just basing it in the in the world, just because it was, it was quite a cool world to inhabit. Um, yeah. One thing that I think it does really well is that uh, because it's its own universe, it can have all of the cool things that you like with detective stories without having to be mired in a, in a specific time period to avoid stuff like DNA and fingerprints and stuff like that. Because I think when you when you reach a certain threshold of real world. Um, sort of like crime stuff eventually it becomes a lot more you know we have actual DNA evidence that you did this rather than trying to work out a puzzle which is more like the sort of Sherlocky kind of detective yeah. style um, so it, it manages to sort of like sit between those two worlds quite comfortably and, and have its own sort of version of, of where the world is at technology wise so you've got like cameras but they're rare you know and you've you've got uh, motor vehicles but they're they're big and a bit crap you know like it's it's having you know you, you're cake and eating it too in in the detective world sort of thing but yeah the, the system in disco elysium is really interesting it's it's got like i think it's got like 16 skills um Jeez. but rather than them all be like persuasion ability agility uh punching they're all <laughs> basically apart from like a few they are pretty much all conversational so you've got things like uh motorics which is like you know how good are you using hands or you've got like physical instrument which is like how how much can you just like absurd force into the world but then you've also got um savoir faire and like esprit de corps and (laughs) like um uh, you know your your persuasions and, and logic skills are split into like six different things so you've got like visual calculus and and logic and and uh inland empire is my favorite one that we picked for our signature skill which is basically like imagination uh conceptualization all that kind of stuff like it's it's really um it's really interesting and because of the way that the sort of dialogue system works every now and again you're you're basically always passing dice rolls in the background um, so everything is you roll 2d6 and you add your score and you're looking for a difficulty level um, and you'll see those dice rolls actually happen as you as you attempt things but those dice rolls are also happening in the background subconsciously um, and your brain will talk to you in the voice of the skill 
So, like, if you're working something out, logic will try and talk to you. Or, like, if you're having a conversation with your partner, sometimes the authority part of your brain will be like, he seems more powerful than you. Quick, assert your dominance. And it's like, you'll you'll get, like, all these different personalities inside of you who are, like, basically just aspects of your personality trying to, like, show their view of the world. And it does some really, really interesting things of it as well, where there's, like, a point where you're having a conversation with this kind of, like, femme fatale figure. Um, and all the voices in your brain are just like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Because you can kind of trust them throughout. They've been like, oh, he's not lying. You can tell from his body language and all that kind of stuff. But then after about 75% of the conversation, part of your brain is just like, are you all idiots? You realize that you've just been completely played by this person, right? Because like your volition is is taking over. It's really, really cool. It's probably one of the best games I've ever played. As I said, it's fantastic. Uh, and it feels probably the most like an actual tabletop RPG as well just to bring it back around to, to board games. Um, like, I think it's the most, um, like, tabletop-esque uh, video game RPG I've ever played. It really feels like, or, at least, you know, at least the kind of ones that I play, it really feels like you're actually uh, given all of the options and, and allowed to just be a bit weird without breaking things. Like, it sort of it allows you to push yourself in strange directions to try and poke at things that you don't really understand and see what happens. Whereas I feel like a lot of video games, you, you get given the options, you're like, I don't know, what's the most boring standard thing that I can say? Yeah, that sounds like the one that will just get me through. Whereas this is like, what if you are just going to act a bit weird? Because it might help, actually. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty good. Hmm. Nice. All right. Alex, me and what Hello. have you been playing? Oh, what have I been playing? I've been playing chess. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. Bring it back. Yeah. yeah so many traditional games going on. Full circle. I know. There's a... There's, uh some sort of secret um, connection here uh, between what Mr. Whelan's been playing, what I've been playing uh, as, as he kindly uh, uh, mouthed off earlier <laughs> against chess <laughs> I suppose I'll step in for the, for the game's I defense. said I don't like it, I never said it was bad <laughs> <laughs> no. um, Yeah uh, so we've come into ownership of two chess sets oh my lord. Um, Yeah uh, for some reason, my housemate and I just we just managed to acquire a trash set at exactly the same time, and uh, so now we have a fancy glass one, and they have a nicer wooden one. So we want to try and get one set up, kind of permanently somewhere, um, but you know we'll have to find space for it. But uh, I managed to get a few games out, and let's say I'm rusty. <laughs> uh, I used to be at a chess club. <laughs> I'm making. I'm going to make glasses at you. I'm doing the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. I was cool uh, in primary school, so it wasn't in secondary school or uni. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I've not really played much since then. And that was a while ago, so I kind of had to pick it up again. But I remembered how all the pieces move roughly i remembered the knight still like baffles me a bit with just trying to remember okay how does this work again like just the way that it looks on the board um it's just such a different piece compared to all the others um but yeah uh, most of them ended in stalemate <laughs> we just get to the point where we remove all usable units so then we're just left with like a king and you know some pawns or a knight or something like that and you know 
you've kind of gotten to the point where this isn't going to go anywhere really anymore because the you know the thing with chess is that in order to actually win the game you need to try and get checkmate which is very difficult when you're lacking pieces particularly ones that can move you know further than just one space um uh so yeah like i I enjoy it i i want to get you know back into playing it a bit more my flatmate wants to actually like study chess a bit more because they're like oh i i just feel really rusty because we're like we're moving the pieces you know we're we're sort of doing the basic actions but we're not necessarily gotten to the point where we're actually thinking that far ahead in terms of oh if i put this piece here sure it's going to be taken by this piece but that means i've you know gotten this piece into a better position which ultimately means i can you know uh move towards getting checkmate because that is you know the main goal people forget sometimes i forget is the checkmate see sometimes you can just get wrapped up in oh i just want to take this person bishop when really you should be thinking about, I want to get into a position where I can actually, you know, execute a checkmate that's going to, you know, work rather than just, oh, they'll get out of it somehow. But yes, chess. Yeah, this is kind of the thing I don't like about chess, to be honest, because it's very, like, it does feel like you have to study it to ever really mm. get anywhere with it, because it's almost like every possible chess strategy has basically been made so if you don't know it then you just don't know it <laughs> like, well, it doesn't really feel like i'm i'm making many decisions when i play i'm not really playing it's not like either of us are like chess champions or anything yeah. like we don't know the strategies we just kind of know how the pieces work and maybe some rudimentary elements of oh like i can i it, a lot of it's just baiting like you just have to bait the person to do something and for them to not realize like what you're trying to get them to do and like pulling those moves off is incredibly satisfying because then you're sat there like thinking oh i'm such a god right now (laughs) (laughs) i'm so clever i'm like you know my master brain is working two steps ahead of you and all you've managed to do is just like trick them into taking like their rook or something um but it's like baby step like you know, from there, who knows where we're going to go? We have two chess sets. Oh my god. <laughs> you could play, just put them together, play really long chess. No. Or just two simultaneous games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Next, Blindfolded. Yeah, next thing you know it, I'll be going to Russia, I'll be challenging the champions, everything. Mm. Yeah, and I'll have cool hair and really nice costumes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we've been playing some chess and we've been playing a new game that I got. Um, uh, uh, Cosmic Encounter Duel. <gasps> yeah, which came out last year. Um, I'm excited to hear about this one. Yeah, it's a two player version of Cosmic Encounter, which is like a fairly well known board game. It's like one of the kind of bastions of modern board games, although it came out in like the 80s right? yeah it's been around for a while isn't it yeah 77 i think there you go 70s um but it's obviously been revised over that time and it's definitely you know one of those games that i've 
enjoyed uh, a lot because it kind of has like a wackiness about it and you know depending on the you know the level of aliens that people play like um i believe we talked about it uh, a bit when we were doing our game of the year podcast because uh, you lot were talking about uh, cosmic frog which is similar um but like the joy of cosmic encounter is people playing as different aliens and those aliens kind of you know coming together in an odd way but also you know people's ally you know allying with each other and you know, things happen that you don't expect to happen sometimes. But obviously with Cosmic Encounter Duel, it's a two-player game. So you don't have that element of allying with people. And also you know what alien your opponent is playing and they know what alien you're playing. There's no secrecy about it. Um, it's more, I'd say it's more of a strategic game rather than the 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 chaos of Cosmic Encounter. Because, like, obviously you can play Cosmic Encounter, you know, somewhat strategically, depending on your ability, you know, you can, like, pick certain players' planets that you think are going to be an easier steal than others and play certain cards at the right time. But I'd say the standard game is more about the, you know, cooperation with other players and the, yeah, like, the gift of the the gab, as it were. But... Mm. The Cosmic Encounter Duel can't do that. So instead it leans more on the strategic element. So uh, we played using the recommended aliens that it suggests for your first game, which are fairly straightforward. Like they have, you know, sort of um, very easy to understand abilities. Uh, and you play it in a series of stages. So, um, you know, you start off exploring a planet like you would in the, the normal game. But instead of exploring a planet that a player has this planet is neutral to start off with it's mm. just a planet and so you're fighting over that planet uh, and so you secretly send a number of spaceships um, and then from that point onwards it's quite different because you go through like a stage of they call it like tactics and plans so you have these little standy things uh, that display like different actions that you can do so like shooting spaceships or shielding against shots or like recovering used tactics uh, and you secretly play one of these things uh, against one another and that either destroys your enemy spaceships or your spaceships can get destroyed or like sometimes neither of those things can happen and whether like a player's spaceships are destroyed or not you know, the duel can end right there if you don't have any spaceships left. Um, if it doesn't end there, then it moves on to the plan stage, which is more similar to the normal game, where you play like a card with a number on it, and <coughs> you win the duel depending on who has, you know, the highest number. Um, and then a player needs to win five planets to win the game. So depending on your alien's abilities sometimes it's better to try and win on the destroy the spaceship stage or try and win on the plan stage um and you can like gain like reinforcements to try and you know boost your plan plays or you can like gain you know abilities that help you get your tactics back because once you use a tactic it's used but you can get it back by like 
you know, yeah, doing certain actions and things. So, like, I think we experienced a very, like, basic version of it because we played those basic alien. So I think if we played some of the more, like, out there aliens, and there's quite a few included in the game, um, it's probably been a bit more of a rich experience. But to start with, it's good. Like, it's not Cosmic Encounter, but I didn't expect it to be because it doesn't have the thing that makes Cosmic Encounter good, i.e. all the other players. Mm. So there you go. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Like like you say, when I think of Cosmic Encounter, I think of two things, which is one, the aliens break all the rules, yeah. and two, people basically just teaming up to destroy mm. each other or backstab each other. Yeah. And so this feels like it goes heavy on the first because it doesn't have the second. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah I, well, I, sorry. Go ahead, Mr. Whelan, please. Well, I was, I was just going to say that the um, the kind of fun thing about Cosmic is that they don't mind just making stuff that's stupidly overpowered because mm. it gets balanced by the fact that everyone knows it's stupidly overpowered and then they all target you, right? So mm. I guess without that sort of ganging up, it must be tricky to sort of figure out how to balance those aliens against each other. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the two aliens that we played, which are the basic ones, are like pretty well balanced. Um, against one another so the one that I played was an alien that every time you played a card with a prime number on it you got a reinforcement that was it <laughs> like um, it was just an alien that really likes prime numbers uh, and then my opponent's alien was one that um, so there's each planet you visit um are you know the cards determine the aspects of the planet so like you know that there's sometimes there are specific situations that the planet card presents that kind of change the the way the jewel works and there's also like oh the winner gets this thing or the loser gets this thing and that's kind of where a bit more of the the random stupid stuff comes in because sometimes the winner will get something really ridiculously good or really stupid or the loser vice versa uh and the each you know explore card has like a a ship advantage number and i think that's plays into each of some of the aliens abilities and so this alien was um whenever they had the ship advantage which is when they played more ships than the other player and they still had them uh the ship advantage was like doubled for them but halved for the other player. And sometimes this meant that the opponent, like my opponent had like double my my plan number because they had the ship advantage. But sometimes it didn't really affect much at all because the ship advantage number was so low that it's like, what's the point? So mm -hmm. for them, for example, they were better off trying to put all their money into the, all their efforts into like trying to destroy my ship so they could get the ship advantage um whereas for me because i had more reinforcements it meant i was better putting you know more of my efforts into hoping that i can survive the the ship phase and get onto the plan because i could play more reinforcements because like by the end of one game i i played five reinforcements on top of my plan card because simply because i gained them throughout the game because of the stupid prime number thing so there is, I think there is some wackiness there. We just haven't managed to find it quite yet because we've just been playing the very easy 
you know, um, aliens. So I'm sure if we played some of the more complicated ones, then things would get even more stupid. Hmm. But there you Sounds go. like they've at least gone the extra measure of thinking through what would work for two people rather than just stripping away the rest of the players yeah. and trying to have the same game. Yeah, no, so it wouldn't have, it would never have worked like that. Because, yeah, like I said, like, yeah, I'm, I'm always really interested by two player versions of standard games because I think, like, it's almost quite a, an interesting puzzle to solve to make those things. Mm, yeah. Um, I actually really like the the Catan two player variant. It's actually really good. Yeah, I would. Like I would say the components are a little bit mm, like mm. You, I expect more from Fantasy Flight. You know. Yeah. And the the tactics are like you have to slot them into little standees to get them to stand up, but the standees are cardboard as well. And so, slip like sliding them in meant that it sometimes got bent, mm. um, especially when your housemate has um, immense muscle and therefore like crushes <laughs> the tactic things. <laughs> and so they're just like these little, like wonky things you're trying to stand up on a table. Too and they're swole. Just down. <laughs> too, they're too swole, uh, and you get this little uh, standy thing. So there's another thing where uh, the, you have the straggler and the leader. The leader is basically whoever's winning the game. And the straggler is, you know, the other player. And the straggler gets this little token, which is, you know, the, do you know the loser race from the species mm-hmm. from Cosmic Counter? It's the loser species, like, hanging in a little, it looks almost like they're in a baby bouncer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the things you put babies in and they can like... <laughs> yeah, it looks like that. and But it's all wonky. And I don't know whether that's because we forced it in or whether it's just like not built very well. But it mm. does, it's... Instead of, you know, just being a straight line with the little, the little alien hanging off it, it's just like at an angle. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say it's quite a complicated game. It took us a while to get our head around. There's like lots of things that I haven't talked about because we'd be here forever. Um, so there is that. But, you know, Cosmic Encounter is a complicated game as well. So it's not, you know, it's not like this is completely out of nowhere. So, mm. yeah. All right. Nice. Mr. Jarvis, tell us. Yeah, what about you, Matt? Uh, I I played a load of party games over the internet with friends during the holiday, so I played a bit of Telestrations, which is very good. Just one, which I'm warming to slowly. <laughs> I still think it's, it's kind of just fine. Yeah. But actually, when we were looking for party games to play, it's so simple that I think that's the benefit of it. Mm. It's like we just knocked out, you know, 20 rounds and it took us half an hour or mm. 40 minutes. It just filled a gap. Telestrations is obviously still brilliant. Uh, it's one of the best party games ever made, and you can just play it using basically whatever you have to hand. Mm. Um, and we also played Wavelength a bunch. That was quite good fun. Uh, it has now sparked multiple conversations about the sexiest Pokemon, um, <laughs> which continues to just be an ongoing debate now in my friendship group. Uh, oh, it's a dangerous like, place. It's like a dangerous round place hour just discussing that one category. Um so yeah care to give uh, us any examples or would you rather uh, keep that well, we're, we, we're all uh disagreeing uh, on various things um i think there were some votes for dratini there were some votes votes for like um like voltor or something i don't know pseudo <laughs> <Sudo-Rudo. laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, wonderful. Uh, uh, my wife and I played War of the Ring, which we hadn't played oh, in a little ooh. while. Bloody hell! Yeah, crack that out. Uh, we because we were watching the the 4K versions of the Lord of the Rings extended trilogy. Mm. It's like, well, tell you what, the perfect complement to these very long films is this very long. War As game. if they weren't extended enough. Yeah. So War of the Rings still great though. It's still it really gets the spirit of Lord of the Rings. It's kind of it's it's ba- it's it's not basically it's kind of risk because it's at some point you're just you know slamming groups of little plastic people together but I think it does enough with the the fellowship trying to get to Mount Doom and Sauron searching for them and the leaders and stuff um, and the events that it manages to go beyond just mm. rolling a bunch of dice to mm. fight each other. Is it the case um, of you have obviously the the war element the the units fighting each other but you've also got this extra element of <clears throat> The, the the you know the the journey to to Mount Doom and Sauron looking for them. So it's not all just like continuously fighting. Yeah, and like the the fact that you spend you roll dice and then you spend the dice on different. So you can use dice if you're the like uh, is it the Free Peoples, the Alliance of Middle Earth, whatever whatever the good not the, the good orcs are called. Yeah, not Sauron and Saruman. Um, but you can move the fellowship, or you can build up reinforcements in the Sorry, different. Sorry, Sauron and Saruman sounds like a legal partnership. <laughs> Sauron and Saruman, protecting your interests. We've got our eye on you. Have you had an accident at Mount Doom? <laughs> can you imagine the courtroom? Just Sauron, just like sat in there. <laughs> Were you offered a ring that corrupted your very moral essence and turned you into a walking undead? I was walking out of my birth sack and fell over and hurt my nose. <laughs> Saren and Saruman got me 40 pieces of gold. <laughs> yeah, that's what they can move on to now that they've given up on the whole, you know, conquering thing. I mean, they're both they're both gone at this point. I mean, you know. You don't know that. Yeah, I mean, have you? Did you never get to the end of the Lord of the Rings? Like, they, yeah, yeah, you know, but, you <laughs> they're know. not in a position Whoa, to be able to. Matt, jeez, I they mean... didn't just retire quite quietly to go set up a legal practice somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <that's what> <laughs> Technically, Saruman only dies in the extended version of Two Towers. So, if you don't watch the extended version, he goes off to be alive. Legal he part. goes off. That's <laughs> the branching path. You see, yeah. <laughs> And if you never get to the end of Fellowship of the Ring, Bor- Borum is fine. It's, he yeah. is fine. Yeah. It's Sean he, Bean. Sean Bean's always yeah, fine. He, he's one of the ones claiming for, I took three arrows to the chest in my place of work. <laughs> anyway, War of the Ring's still pretty good. It's still very long. Um, I would say that the rulebook, so we were playing the second edition. Um, the rulebook is kind of just overwrought for what it is. Like it's a... It's a complex game, but it's not as complex as the rulebook needs to be. Yeah. Um, so we used a very good aid from the Esoteric Order of Gamers, which is a website that kind of boils you were down rulebooks. Just rule books telling to you about a... this morning. I was, yeah. Um, it basically, whoever runs it boils down rules for games to um, just a couple of pages normally. I think they're a graphic designer as well, so they always take elements of the game and make them very kind of visually, kind of easy to read, but also mm. pleasing. Um, but using that made it a lot easier to kind of remember all of the rules involved because, like I say, it's not... When you boil it down, it's you roll some dice, you spend the dice to do actions, mm. and then you smash a load of people together and they fight. It's it's not super complicated, but going through the rule book made it seem a lot more. Yeah. Uh, we, did, we owned the expansions for it, but we didn't include those because 
I just it was enough to to pick up the main game again. So we didn't have eagles and ents and and so on. Mm. Um, but yeah, I still like War of the Ring a lot. Isn't um, there a new version of that coming out, or at least they're the... bringing out a card game yeah. as Dicebreaker exclusively broke the news of, um, or broke some uh, details of. Yeah, so there's a, there's a card game coming out this year, which I think is why War of the Ring was on my mind because it had been a while since I'd played. Um, and I am very intrigued to see mm. what they do because I think the cards are actually among the strongest elements of War of the Ring because that's where you get all the flavour. Like it's very good at capturing the spirit of it all um, mm. because the the people on a map it's is like kind a, of like I say it's kind of just risk. The cards are like an OXO cube. That's where all the flavour of the game is. You know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Dissolved in the the liquid, the water of. <laughs> anyway um <laughs> the other thing i did which isn't quite a board game is uh with some friends we played some online escape rooms which were mm. a mixed bag mm. there was one that was about uh setting up for a festival and oh, it came God. with a soundtrack and sound effects every time you open a web page and it was very funny um but not deliberately i'm imagining <laughs> i'm imagining what those sound effects are and i, I like, reckon I'm, yeah i reckon i was pretty close <laughs> Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, and the other one was was like a murder. It was CSI something. Um, not official CSI, but... CSI kind of. Brighton. <laughs> it, I think it was, it was somewhere... It wasn't Brighton, but it was somewhere like that, just kind of some city somewhere, um, okay. which was fine. It was better than the, the rock and roll one. They were both fun, but I think... I've done a few escape rooms online now, and they are they're fun, but it kind of lacks that we were all in a voice call and you're just kind of browsing for a website trying to solve puzzles and a few of them were just kind of very similar. You have to put in this password. Can you find the password somewhere? Yeah, I think there's, is you know, like... when you're lacking like the tangible kind of like putting keys in things or pulling things open or searching around a room. Was it like hard to um, get that. you had to find the password behind this like spot the difference picture? I mean, not a million miles from that, to be honest. There was one where it's like, there, here's a list of people that worked at the shop and you just read the list and instantly it was like well the first letters of their names spell a word and that was the password it's like it didn't really take much um, but I think you know escape rooms are really good fun and it's a really hard thing to capture when you're not in the same room as other people mm. it's a it's a tricky thing but yes alright shall we move on to some news yeah 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 news uh, Alex Meehan hello Tell us about Slay the Spire, the board game. <gasps> right, I'm I'm in and also on the chopper. We're getting the hot. We're getting in and on <laughs> the, the chopper. We're getting the hottest news here. Um, breaking news: Slay the Spire is becoming a board game. Um, for those people who may not know, uh, Slay the Spire is a very good video game. Uh, have either of you played it? I've played a lot of Slay the Spire. Mm. I love Slay the Spire. Same. Um, I think it's probably better as a video game, but we'll get to that. <laughs> Whoa! Hot takes already coming out. Matt Jarvis. <laughs> I have not played Slay the Spire. Sometimes I look at it and go, people like this. And then I'm like, but it's, a, to be honest, like I like my deck builders as card games. <gasps> Two I... contrasting opinions! Well, so here's the thing. Matt Jarvis. Oh. I think if you were to play Slay the Spire, you would be like, ah, that was a very good deck builder, 
that should only exist as a video game. <laughs> That's an interesting take. I mean, I've played like virtual card games and been like, this is fun. But I think because I play a lot of card games because of my job, often when I'm looking at video games, I just want something that is very distinctly different. Mm. Um, mm. But I, I'm always intrigued. So I'm kind of intrigued to see what they do with this and I'll probably check it out at some point. Mm. So there's not a huge amount of information about it available yet. Uh, other than the fact that it's a co-op game, which is very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, imagining how that's going to work with how Slay the Spire works, which you control uh, different characters and they have kind of different abilities and they fight enemies with a deck of cards and that deck of cards has different like actions they can take, like attacking or casting a spell or things like that in your deck slowly grows the farther you get and you can buy more cards from merchants and then if you die uh, you start at the beginning again but you have some of the cards you have access to some of the cards that you've acquired along the way so i guess it's what the video game people call a roguelike um, it's a very it's a very disdain alex it's a very broad term that no one really quite knows what it means yeah it's like one of those terms that you're like okay i suppose that sort of describes it but uh, i think it, using the term roguelike is like saying rock music isn't it mm, like there's yeah. there's a lot of subgenres which yeah. makes it confusing like, um like the, this game is very different from hades and yet they're both roguelikes yeah. so um but yeah um, yes sorry I, I was just gonna say i think the the, the problem i have with with this idea is that I think if you were to like one to one map the video game into a card game, it would be an absolute nightmare to play because there's like you can upgrade your cards. There's um, like a huge array of cards that you can pick from. Mm. Each player has their own separate mechanics, which are represented by uh, not only uh, like the effects on your cards, but also passive effects. You've mm. also got artifacts, which will have passive effects that mm. you collect. Yeah, and it's all randomized, and there's loads of different enemies, and they all have like a hundred hit points, and like there's loads of maps involved. But all of that is abstracted by the fact that it's a video game, so it all happens in like you know microseconds. Yeah. Whereas I think if if they try and be too faithful to themselves. They might end up with a really clunky board game. Mm. So yeah. th- they are fundamentally going to have to change a lot of things, I think. And that will be where I sort of go, okay, why am I not just playing Slide the Spire? So, yeah. yes, Mr. Jarvis? I was going to say, I think this is always the thing with video game board yeah. games, right? It's like, do you go with the spirit or the letter? Because like, if you if you just go with the spirit, that's fine. Like, If you get a bit of that flavour, it kind of adds to that world or gives you a mm-hmm. kind of different input. You take a little element. Mm. But o- the worst like video game board games are the ones that like you say wills are just like they're trying to run code but it's you a human trying to add up (laughs) numbers that are crunched in the background (laughs) on a bit of paper and it's just it's not fun basically yeah well i think digital card games are quite a big thing now and like um you know if you it all sort of started in the mainstream of hearthstone right and if you were to then make hearthstone into a physical card game it would suck ass because it would just be like so much maps and so many physical elements that you would need to make all of the fun like fun things that people enjoy about Hearthstone work mm. like the fact that you could just copy and paste cards and like random numbers will get generated instantly and all that kind of stuff it's 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 a game that was like what if we took the bones of you know trading card games or deck builders or whatever um and then did things that you are physically unable to do on a tabletop 
So mm. to then go back again and try and take the spirit of that and put it back on a table, I think, would be really difficult. So I'm, I am cautiously unoptimistic, pessimistic, <laughs> pessimistic. That's the yeah. one. Um, well, but if you think, we'll see what happens. Yeah. If you think about it, like tabletop, as long as you accept that it's a different medium, mm. then there's no reason why it wouldn't be good if they actually accepted that and made something that works with that. So, like, I'm of the opinion that Slay the Spy is great and it works really well because, yeah, all those elements of upgrading cards, you know, the the removing hit points, whatever, are done for you by a digital system. But, you know, I guess there's an element of the fact that, one, they're working with a tabletop publisher who hasn't done an awful lot. Mm. Kenshin... Contention Games have released one game called Imperium the Contention which uh, is like an epic sci-fi board game uh, so something that's quite a bit different but they are working with Megacrit so the, the developers behind the video game and Megacrit are, you know they obviously took inspiration from deck builders to make this game so I'm sure they have some understanding of, you know, how that works on a tabletop. So the fact that they've not just, from what I know, they've not just handed it to Contention Games and said, there you go, have the license, like, make this. You know, obviously, I'm not confirming anything because I don't know specifically how involved they are. But, I mean, their name's on the front of the box, at least. They're not just, like, going, here you go, like, have the license, whatever. So, you know, again, I am with you in the sense that I don't want them to just make a carbon, try and make a carbon copy as a video game because they're just not going to be able to do that. And that's not the point of tabletop. But if they make a version that has the, yeah, the spirit of the video game, like the idea of, of going up a spire and, and facing, you know, different enemies and, you know, if they, you know, maybe they would do something with you know, accessing new cards every time you play. A little bit like a legacy game, maybe. Uh, I think that would be interesting. Like, you could upgrade cards by literally sticking on stickers mm -hmm. on top of the cards. Like, they could potentially do something like that. Again, no idea whether they're going to, because there's no details. But, hey, if you're listening to this, Contention Games, we've given you some ideas, <laughs> although you've probably already made it. Yeah, it just it reminds me of when we previewed um, the Divinity Original Symbol game. Which in, was alright. Sort of, it was. Which yeah, it was fine. Do you know what fine. I mean? Like it was like, like I I think they were they did a very good job and were very clever uh, in the way that they made a Divinity game into a tabletop game. Mm. But by doing that, they have by design made something that's inferior to the original product, and it's like that. That's what I'm worried about because I think I'm sure there are very 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 cool things that you could do with the ideas, and, the, and like Matt says, the spirit of Slay the Spire, I'm worried that they'll just make Slay the Spire and yeah. it won't be very good. <laughs> yeah. Or it'll be fine, but it just won't be Slay the Spire. Mm. But there we go. Yeah. I am a we, massive pessimist, so there we go. <laughs> we shall see. Yeah. Uh, do we have a date on when it's coming out? Man? There's a Kickstarter is coming this year, so okay. I don't know when that is. Stop asking me. <coughs> don't contact <Sorry>. me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Matt. God, I'm sorry. It wasn't uh, okay. to Matt specifically. It was just in general. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, let's move on to this story, uh, also by one Alex Meehan, about Battlestar Galactica starship battles. Yeah. Uh, which... Yeah, I'm flying off on chopper, and we're going up to space now. Wow. Uh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Battlestar Galactica Starship Battles. Oof, that's a mouthful. Um, is a miniatures game which uh, was made by Ares Games, who have done. Have they done a. War some... of the Ring. Yeah, they, they did. Published they did War, War of the, of the Ring. Ring. So, yeah. Funnily enough. Oh, wow. Funnily enough, yeah. All, all paths lead back to Lord of the Rings. Um. Yeah, so they're the publisher behind this miniatures game, which is based on the television series from the 2000s and also includes the original one from the 70s uh, settings, because why not? Uh, and uh, But unfortunately for fans, uh, the game is no longer receiving any support uh, because the license has just run out. So Ares Game have just said... We, we had some disagreements with Universal Brand and Development, which owns the license. And so they just let it, f- you know, fly off like ashes in the wind, uh, poetically speaking. Uh, and so there were, were two expansions uh, in the pipeline, um, Faster Than Light and an additional counter set, which are now being released as free to download PDFs. So there will be no longer any, you know, there won't be any products released for the miniatures game. Um, uh, they are selling existing sets until uh, June 30th. Uh, so if people want to buy any existing sets, they can do so until then. Uh, other than that, you know, uh, sad times, I guess. I've not yeah, played it, yeah. so... It's a shame. I I reviewed it when it came out, oh. and it is it's it's X Wing in a lot yeah. of ways. But it the thing that it did that was really interesting is it had real physics to it, so you could boost in a direction and then turn your ship, but you would continue to drift because of the momentum. Mm. So you could do like you could boost, flip one eighty, and then shoot as you were drifting backwards. That's pretty sick. Which <laughs> X Wing didn't have, so that was kind of its its real uh, kind of selling point that made it stand out. Because I have not, I'm not like a huge Battlestar Galactica fan. Um, I don't dislike it. I just have never really watched a lot of it. Mm. Um, so when I was reviewing it, that was the thing that was really interesting. But the issues I had of it at the time were just that it was a little bit fiddly. Um, it was quite expensive for what it was, mm. which isn't—it's not dissimilar to X-wing, but uh, and a lot of the components beyond the ships themselves, which like X-wing were pre-painted uh, and came on spinning bases, um, were just not very good. So the like the gameplay itself was really interesting. So it's kind of a shame to see interesting ideas, I guess, not pan out in a game mm. that presumably mm. didn't didn't really find an audience. Um, because yeah. it, was, it did manage to do something different, at least. It, it kind of had a weight to it. I think you'd just hope that they take the, that game system and just apply it to, like, something else. Um, if, if, it, if, you know, the license itself. Because, again, I'm not a Battlestar Galactica fan. Um, but, you know, it has certainly has its fans. Um, from what I understand, though, the thing that draws people to it are 
you know, is the tension between the characters or, you know, is that person a Cylon? I don't think you get that from, you know, dogfighting space battles. Um, uh, yeah, but they covered that in the board game, right? It's like... Yeah, exactly. the board game so, you also can't buy. So. Yeah, a game you also can't buy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, that I understand. But, you know, maybe they could they could just take the system and apply it to, like, an original IP that they don't have to get the license for. Or, or uh, some other science fiction. I feel like that would also be a bad idea. Because I, I think part of the reason why I've literally only just heard of this <clears throat> is it is it is just going to seem like a sort of knockoff X-Wing to a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, um, and it's so. like, if you were choosing one, if you were really into space dog fighting, even if you were a massive Battlestar Galactica fan, you also have to have a lot of other friends who are willing to do that kind of thing mm-hmm. and like Battlestar Galactica. And it's way easier to just like find people who already play X-Wing. You can go to many clubs and like X-Wing's already there. And it's also just, you know, has a bigger publisher behind it to support it. Mm. Probably like a bigger range of, I of mean, stuff to play with and stuff. It's it like, is fantasy flight, so it's always yeah. a... A risk as to whether <laughs> with the dice roll, yeah, will shut it down. Are they yeah. going to bother supporting? But I'm it. pretty sure X-wing does relatively well. Yeah, for them, so I, yeah. I, I, w- I couldn't imagine they would just shut it down. Yeah, it's worth saying that. So Ares, uh, who published this, did Wings of War or Wings of Glory, uh, which came before X-wing and is basically that, but with historical things. So That's I can fair. see why they were trying to get in on the sci-fi yeah. side. Mm. But I do think if they couldn't make it work with. I mean, Battlestar Galactic is, isn't Star Wars or Star Trek, but it's a name. Yeah. Like, if they can't make it work with some kind of extra boost, maybe it's just not It's just not going to work out for them, which is a yeah. shame, because there were interesting ideas here, like I say, just, just didn't have the momentum, ironically. Mm. Hey. Oh, hey. whoa! Hey. He's back! Bada-boo! Wow! All right, uh, Alex, me and another Shut one from you. Next. Speaking of licensed games, tell us of the Dark Crystal oh, RPG. Wow, I chop- and, and speaking of games that you've DM'd on the channel, on yeah, the yeah, channel, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Chopper, I don't know what world <laughs> we're in right now. This is this is weird. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the the Dark Crystal. Uh, which is like a film from the 1982, I believe, uh, directed by the beloved Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Uh, it was like a dark fantasy film. I've not actually seen it. I want to. Uh, I've just not gotten around to watching it. But uh, at the time, it wasn't hugely popular and it's become a bit of a cult classic. But it did receive a Netflix series... Which lasted for a season and then was cancelled. I was going to say this is video game as well. Yeah, this is weird timing because they just cancelled the the reboot. So yeah. it feels like okay, this is following that. But <laughs> may, I don't. Maybe this was in the works before, and it's like, well, we've yeah. done the. We've well, done the work maybe they were just like, oh, do you know what? Create your own bloody stories. We can't be bothered anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, like Netflix are like Fantasy Flight. They just they'll just like cut the cord of anything that they're like, right, okay, this one's this one's done. Let's just uh, throw it in the garbage. Um, yeah, uh, but enough of that. This is a adventure game, the Dark Crystal adventure game, uh, which is coming from the same creators behind the Labyrinth adventure game, which we have played, Mr. Whelan. Mm-hmm. We have you and and Johnny and I, 
we did a let's play of and it was fun yeah, it was very it was very cute and it was it was a good good game for um like sort of younger audiences getting into rpgs i think which mm. is ironic because it's based on the film from the 80s but like it's um i think it's uh, a good one for sort of like maybe you know older rpg players to play with their kids or something mm. like that and it's it's really really sort of um easy system to get hold of you, you only need like 1d6 or something like that and it's all all sort of generated for you in the book so yeah. it's I just think... the one that had like a slot to put the dying yes. in the book yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. pretty yeah. as well it's a lovely book mm-hmm. um, yeah nice thing to have on the shelf as well yeah the the book is really nice and it kind of has that like story book feel to it that i think really worked with labyrinth uh but i know labyrinth because i don't really know dark crystal but i suppose it makes sense as like a stepping off point like you know dark crystal is is also made by jim henson also has puppets also fantasy so um yeah it, it's going to be similar to the labyrinth um adventure game in that uh you know one person takes a role of a gm and guides the other players through you know various scenarios in the book and there, there will also be tools to allow uh, the the GM to kind of make their own stories in the same world if they want to. Um, there aren't a huge amount of details other than that. There's going to be like a massive 200 page campaign uh, involved. Um, and th- there's not a release date for it yet. But there is a picture of it and it looks nice. <laughs> Did the uh, did Labyrinth let you? Because that was kind of like you say it was an adventure story, but it, it let you do custom sessions, right? Sort of. Uh, from what I remember, there were like, you know, tools that were like, oh, here are some of the NPCs that you can make, and like, for for the playthrough we did, I made my own stuff, along with it, just because uh, of of the nature of doing a playthrough of it because otherwise, you know, it'd be quite extended. But also because I wanted to, because it was fun. But the the thing is, it, it wasn't really against that either. It's not like the game was like, you have to play it like this. It was more like, you know, you you know, this is the system, but you can kind of play around with it however you like. Um, it is in that vein of rules light RPGs. In the sense that it's not really like, this is exactly how you're meant to do it. It's more like, this is a guideline. But, um, you know, go to a, a swamp and see a snail lady if you want. <laughs> That's exactly what it yeah. says. It was kind of like you you went through, um, like, different sort of chapters, I guess, which mm. were in different parts of this little world. Uh, and then, you always, you know, you always had a kind of rough... Um, uh, similar story where you're you're always ending up with the the goblin king or whatever which one you're going to choose. Mm. Um, but then it was you know it was kind of just like you know find a page in this section, play it through, and then jump to another page. So it was, it was almost like a little uh, sort of procedurally generated kind of dungeon for you, which is quite cool. Mm. I think it was quite mm. a nice little system. Yeah. So uh, if you're a fan of the Dark Crystal or you just like rules light RPG books. Keep an eye out it whenever it comes, I suppose. Keep those peepers peeped. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. I'm going to sneak in one quick last one here. Oh, uh, Matt Jarvis, so sneaky. Uh, there's a game <laughs> called oh Embry- you... Embryo oh, Machine. I hate that. You've got to say it. <laughs> so, You've got to say it. 
Embryo Machine is the name of this game. Uh, it is a it's actually a Japanese game that came out in 2018. Um, it's about mecha, so big old robots, uh, similar to like Gundam or Evangelion, um, but it's now seeing an English uh, translation and localization, courtesy uh, of Lion Wing, who previously did. They have brought across some other bits. Um, Kradia Wild Hunt Festival, which I think was kind of like Final Fantasy and Monster Hunter esque, um, and Gun and Gun. Oh which yeah, I think we've covered previously. <laughs> gun and Gun. <laughs> um, but yes, em- Embryo Machine, which is just not. It's not a, <laughs> every time. You say, whenever it's just not a listeners. Good name. <laughs> whenever Matt Jarvis sent me a message about this today. <clears throat> This game. Every time he wrote the words "embryo machine" afterwards, he'd do a little bracket, and and in the bracket, a sad face would be in there. It's Every just, time he wrote it's it, a, it's not nice to say. It's not nice to read. It's gross. It's a, yeah, yeah. But the the game itself sounds kind of interesting. So it's like a skirmish board game, um, in which you pilot the titular EMs. Um, and you you draft cards to equip them with different weapons and armor and abilities. Um, and then you take to the battlefield, which is a gridded board. Um, and it is said to be very tactical, so there's elements of terrain um, affecting your traits. You can take cover behind things. You can flank your opponents because the standees that represent the EMs have different facings. Um, and you can play either free-for-all with up to six people or in teams. Um, but it sounds kind of interesting. It's kind of like a... Um, like it's said to be very fast playing because everybody's movement and actions happen simultaneously. So you're trying to, similar to something, I guess, like Robo Rally, you're trying to predict where your opponents might move mm. and aim your attacks game. there while also avoiding attacks that might come your way and not move, not suddenly step into them. Um, so, like, the gameplay sounds really interesting um, if it's as fast as it kind of makes itself out to be. Um, while also having this kind of tactical edge. That sounds really interesting. It just has a terrible name. Yeah. Mm. Like just It's not an appealing name in any way. No. And, yeah. I mean, maybe it was... I don't know what the translation is like. Uh, maybe that's the fault. I can't imagine... I don't know why you would winningly choose to... <laughs> to call it this for any other reason other than maybe trying to directly translate it as much as possible. Yeah, I think I believe the original one was called Embryo Machine okay. as well. Well, there you go. Um, but I don't know for sure. So uh, yeah, it's it's seeing a Kickstarter next month, so that's February. Hmm. Um, but there's no I no kind of uh, confirmation of when it might be out after that. Uh, also, the original game I think has one expansion out that came out in 2019 and has an expansion coming out this year, hmm. um, but it hasn't been confirmed whether those will be translated as well. Uh, I imagine they'll see how this kind of base game does. It comes with, I think, nine different mechs, um, and then you outfit them with kind of your different bits and bobs. Yeah, so yeah. it seems like there's a good amount of variety and yeah. kind of customization. Get, so, get a microwave yeah. in there, get a popcorn machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you want uh, your mech to be comfy. You want to have Bring along <laughs> your fatherly issues. <laughs> Got to keep um, that embryo comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> God, Wheels. I will say, to, whilst what? I. I'm not really a big mecha fan. I am excited to see more Japanese games being um, sort of made available mm. in other markets because it's, it's yeah it's a, a huge place for game design. So mm. like it's it's a really really cool thing to be able to actually play some of those games in uh, in your native language, mm-hmm. depending on where you're listening to this from. Hopefully, someone that speaks English because otherwise this might be difficult to understand. <laughs> mm. I mean, um, Matt Jarvis, 
help me with this. Robot in disguise. (laughs) (laughs) What was that game we played last year that we really liked? Bullet. Bullet, yes. Yeah. Uh, Which I backed on Kickstarter, disclaimer. Did that Uh, have a Japanese designer? Don't believe so. I think Bullet was just very anime uh, inspired. Uh, Matt cause... Jarvis, embryo machine. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> Why don't, for example, Shadowhunters, one of my favourite games. Yeah, so this is from the, I, re- I believe originally from the studio that made Shadowhunters. Whoa! Oh. Uh, the Japanese studio, uh, whose name I, Kosaic. I mm. believe they made Shadowhunters. Uh, I'll just well, interject, sorry. I'm sold, because I love that game. So I'm glad that was translated over. So... I'm all for it, frankly. Yeah, mm. let's get let's let's get those games translated. Yeah, I, I mean, mechs are mechs are you know popular for a reason. They are big and stompy, and it's fun to play as them. <laughs> Reasons um, we like mechs: big, stompy. Yeah, that's kind of it, <laughs> right? They've got they often have a cool look. I think the there have been some really good mech games. There have been some not so good ones. There have been things like um, Starship Samurai. I think was one that kind of just took that. the visual kind of influences and it it was just kind of fine um the last one i remember being of kind of a lot of interest was the uh giant killer robots um gkr heavy hitters which was from weta workshop yeah yeah which came in a box that was about the size of my coffee table Mm -hmm. um (laughs) because it had pre-painted massive things and 3d buildings that you could turn to rubble but it had that had like a really strong like aesthetic and idea behind its world where it was all these kind of corporations and you could spray buildings with advertising as you destroyed them <laughs> which was quite funny um so yeah i you know met games they're they're good so hopefully this will be a good one despite having you a horrible hair horrible, horrible name <laughs> mm. um yes uh all right let's do some email shall we before we close out this podcast the yeah, first of got- 2021 Got all sorts of questions Ooh. just waiting to be hatched, like little embryos. No, stop it, Wheel! Stop it! Well, <laughs> to hatch this embryo, let's You're... turn over to our own embryo machine, Michael Wheel and Wheels. <laughs> Matt, how do people reach us to send us emails? emails? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can email podcast at dicebreaker.com. Gosh, it's been a few weeks since I last recorded a podcast. Thanks for reminding That's me. That's all right. Um, or you can find us at Join Dicebreaker on Twitter. Or you can just find us at dicebreaker.com or youtube.com slash dicebreaker. Mm. Get in touch. We want to hear from you Ooh. not about your embryo machines no Wheels, would you like to read this one from jonathan please from jonathan who says hey guys i've been gming quite a few rpgs this year over discord mostly stuff like DD, lasers and feelings and quest and the tone has been generally quite light-hearted and comedic recently i've picked up the alien rpg and i love it but i was wondering if you had any advice on creating more of a horror tone as a gm love the show Jonathan, thanks very much for your question, Jonathan. Um, I mean, I guess we're uniquely placed to, to answer this because we ran the Alien RPG on uh, youtube.com forward slash Dicebreaker, our uh, original YouTube channel full of fantastic videos featuring these lovely faces, and maybe even this video that you're watching right now if you're watching it there. So make sure you hit subscribe and click the bell icon and all that Wait, stuff. are we ending the video? This sounds nope. like the end of the video. <laughs> I had to get it out. It's been a long time, Matt. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, Alien is uh, a very cool RPG, which we won't go too into because I think we talked about it a few times on the podcast already. Mm. Um, but it is set in Ridley Scott's Alien universe. Uh, you are playing sort of Survivor-style characters who are having to deal with aliens and that. 
and androids and all that nonce. Nonsense, not nonsense. Oh my god. god um, but... <laughs> She's like the worst older brother right now. <laughs> anyway, uh... <laughs> we won't put that as the episode title. <laughs> It was with an S-E, I just want to point out. Anyway, um, horror is an interesting thing. Um, And I think we all really love horror RPGs, so I think we Mm. all have a lot to say about this. Um, For me, it's all about um, not playing your hand too early with a horror RPG. I think a lot of the time when I run stuff, you won't see the actual thing that is going to murder you for a very, very long time. A lot of it is in the environment that you're describing and just that general feeling of uneasiness. And just being in a space where you know something bad has happened, but you can't quite put your finger on what has happened. Um, you know, because we, we have this kind of unique problem where we were running the Alien RPG where everyone knows what a Xenomorph is and everyone knows what Facehugger is and all that kind of stuff. Um, so if you just go, oh, there's a big black monster who you've never seen before. And everyone's like, oh, I wonder what that is. So you have to be a lot more mysterious um, and a lot more sort of teasing with the way that things work because you know even if people know every single monster in the alien universe they don't know what they're coming up against and they don't know what kind of danger they're in and they don't know how many things they're coming up against all that kind of stuff so leaning into the unknown is a big big part of of gming horror i think Mm. Uh, but i'll hand over to my esteemed colleagues which one ian's trying to find one (laughs) (laughs) well i so i think like generally horror rpgs i find they require like careful handling because mm-hmm. i think it's very easy to end up um just dispelling the atmosphere and as soon as you lose that like will said like that's such a big part of the horror rpgs um or the appeal of horror rpgs i think combat is particularly hard to manage mm-hmm. so i think the alien rpg actually handles it quite well in that it doesn't have a super complex combat system because it's not really designed for that it's designed for you to very rarely come into contact with things Mm. um and if you do they're going to really hurt you uh call of cthulhu does similar things um i think that is generally the the vibe is make sure your group kind of knows what the score is going in because if they're expecting to beat up a load of gribblies and you know kind of run around (laughs) and no no come on let's start things back here Please ex- explain Gribblies to me. Gribblies, you know, they're, <laughs> they're the kind the of monsters of that go... Kind of Muppets <laughs> like, yeah. That kind of monster, you know, they look like they've just crawled out of a sewer grate and they're kind of, like, they're sticky to the touch. Um, <laughs> That's me. <laughs> That's the grossest thing. That's me, the embryo machine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's the thing, is you need everyone to commit because as soon as somebody, uh, you know, decides that they don't want to creep quietly anymore that can ruin it for everyone else mm. and that that's fine like some groups just don't won't want that um you know it, but you need to have everyone on the same page and to kind of respect what what vibe the gm or other players are going for mm. because if they see something like you know if they see the xenomorph and then they immediately run up and try to bat it with a plank of wood <laughs> it's gonna it's really hard to write your way out of that as a GM without just killing the entire party if you want yeah. to maintain kind of the level of dread and suspense. Mm. There's definitely um, a difference between like horror as a genre and horror as an aesthetic. Mm. And I think you, you want to find out very early on which which of those two you're Yeah, that's towards. a really good way of putting it. Yeah. 
I mean, I would say that the alien RPG is useful in that fact because it's very much uh, my known RPG based on the first film, on Alien. So it's very much leaning into the this is horror as a genre. Like, you are characters that are scrubs. If you go up against a xenomorph, you will die. Like, you're characters are meant to be weak are meant to be vulnerable and they're not meant to be you know going hoorah and and running at the enemy so as long as you lay those things out very clearly for your players beforehand mm. then i think they're going to be on the same page and if they're not on the same by page by that point frankly I don't know what else you could have done. You are fully allowed to murder them all yeah, at that yeah. point. <laughs> You've um, given them their warning. <laughs> yeah, I'm someone who really likes horror RPGs. So my experience of running them, and I've actually on a whole run more horror RPGs than other genres, uh, is number one, soundtrack. Soundtrack is so important. Mm. Please make a soundtrack. There's loads of free music on YouTube. Uh, there are even soundtracks people have made on Spotify, or they vary greatly in quality. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes you end up with kooky, kooky music, and you're like, well, this is very effective. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into my mixtape. We're going to get real spooky right now. <laughs> DJ Spook. I think dark ambient is the genre that you're looking for. Yeah, so I've made a lot of soundtracks using video game music, because it's actually very effective mm -hmm. in that regard, because... They're built to one loop and two to create atmosphere. So, like, I just think soundtracks are, are so effective with making horror. They make such a difference. And, like, have different tracks for different situations. So, like, if people are running away from something, have, like, a chase track. Or if they're just searching for something, have, like, a mysterious, like, oh, it's hinting at danger, but you're not, like, fully you know in in trouble yet uh and like build that around so pacing is incredibly important in making a horror rpg campaign so like will said don't just like fling a monster at them straight away like mm. like start off with a fairly normal situation like we're all on ground zero but then like gradually feed in like a feeling of something's not quite right here like you know, you know, one of these NPCs is acting oddly, like, you know, this environment, there's something watching us or there's something not right about us. And so definitely use your powers as a GM describing things to, like, build that sense of unease. It's all about, like, the, the, the building of tension and then the release of that tension. So, like, knowing when is the best moment to, like, have my monster or monsters whatever it is like come out like or maybe i should have a lesser sort of danger like just just to get like their hackles raised up so and like alien rpg is a good one for that because you know the mechanics like any good horror rpg the mechanics feed into building mm -hmm. atmosphere like any good horror rpg worth its salt like does that there you go yeah, Oops. if you're playing in person as well, I think uh, setting a good ambience just in the room. Like, one one thing that makes Ten Candles such a great mm. RPG is that it physically forces you to play in the dark. Mm. Uh, and you're playing by candlelight. And just immediately, the fact that you physically, as a human being, could breathe a little bit too heavily and blow out the candle and risk, like, losing something in the 
game world immediately puts everyone on edge. Uh, which, if that's the kind of vibe that you're trying to to pull out, and you want people to feel a little bit anxious and a little bit, oh my god, what's going to happen? Like allowing them to to feel that in both both regards is is really powerful. I think. Mm. Yeah, it's also worth saying that I think horror RPG in the horror genre in general is sometimes more prone to people delving into uh, like problematic or uncomfortable mm. topics because you're essentially going for shock tactics. Or so just make sure your players are comfortable. Like use the X card. Use like lines of veils mm, yeah like set out the boundaries first like having horror doesn't mean that you need to be you know genuinely unpleasant or to genuinely unsettle people or no. make them mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable no. so just yeah just you know respect your players and they'll respect you back and ultimately the atmosphere will be better for it yeah mm-hmm. every campaign i've made i've always like you don't yeah you don't need those shock tactics those really unpleasant aspects to make something scary like if you build the right atmosphere it will be scary or Mm -hmm. thereabouts all right uh alex mian would you like to read this one from jack from jack jack says if you could have anyone from history to part of your ideal rpg group who would you pick and what kind of character do you think they would make Anyone from history? Mm. History. Because I feel like sometimes we get asked this question about celebrities, but I feel a like lot, if you're yeah. going for history, you gotta go you gotta go back, right? I would pick Tao Tao from the Three Kingdoms period of China. Uh who is like a cunning, conniving mastermind general. Cause I think he would make some very interesting sort of rogue characters. <laughs> um <laughs> There's like a phrase uh, in Chinese that obviously I don't know the the original text for, uh, but it's it's like it's kind of like the their version of uh, you know speak of the devil and he will appear, where it's like by the time that you've uttered Cao Cao's name, his cavalry have already arrived or something like that. So I think he would be a really cool character to to uh, run an RPG for. Hmm. See, I would take like Dante. Uh, and I would want him to be GM. The GM, yeah. Yeah. Just like give us, you know, give us the Divine Comedy, but as a 17 part campaign, or probably like 1700 part campaign. That would campaign. be amazing, to be honest. Yeah. Odysseus would also be an interesting pick for that. Oh, sure, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Who would I pick? Probably someone like, maybe like Mary Wollstonecraft? Because, oh, like, she was a woman who, like, did a lot of thinking during a time when women weren't really supposed to. And she kind of didn't really care and just, like, wrote an entire book about why she doesn't care and why, you know, other women shouldn't care. Uh, and so I think she would just have the ability to make a character that had that similar kind of vibe of, like, not, like, disruptive in terms of, I'm going to deliberately mess this, you know, story up because I want to. More in the case of, yeah, I'm going to make a character who speaks their mind and, you know, regardless of potential pressures or or constraints or whatever. And, you know, she was a smart woman and mm. I want <coughs> smart people in my RPG group. 
to yeah. flip it on its head what figure from history would you absolutely not want at your table because i think socrates would be the kind of guy who would <laughs> argue that the thaco system is, is mathematically superior or something yeah yeah socrates or any of the like the like ancient philosophers they're all just going to be rules pedants aren't they <laughs> yeah they're gonna absolutely. not that's not going to be any fun yeah i would say i would say clement attlee because clement attlee was a great prime minister he he literally created the NHS, like he made the welfare state, like he he was a socialist, like perhaps one of the last socialist like politicians we've ever had in like a real you know the UK has ever had in a real state of power, but he was described as being an incredibly boring man. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone said he had like he had the personality of a gerbil or something. <laughs> And like, he he was a um, he was a brilliant politician in terms of bringing in social reforms. But like, as as a personality, whenever like a news station or whatever would like ask for comment, he would just say no comment. He would just drive off in his little car. And you know, <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> no, no, I respect. I respected the man. But like, as a as someone creating like a an engaging character. Probably not him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. See, yeah, like Jack Kerouac or um, uh, why did I forget James Joyce? Like just self-indulgent. <laughs> like they they would spend twenty minutes describing what their character's doing, thinking it was the most important thing in the world. Yeah. Like no. they've both written like twenty thousand words as backstory to their characters, like ear tattoo. Mm. Lord Byron. <laughs> <laughs> see, I was, I no, was see, actually after. I would oh, rather have okay. Byron than Shelley. <clears throat> Shelley can take a nosedive, as far as I'm concerned. I was going to say that Mary Shelley. I wish I'd changed her. After you said Mary Rawson's car, after I was thinking about Mary. Mary Shelley. Like, Mary Shelley would be incredible. Yeah. yeah, she would be Mary incredible GM, running her. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She would be amazing. Her yeah. husband. Not so much. Oh, yeah. He all was the, a dweeb, a massive yeah, dweeb. All, <laughs> all he did was moan, and he was married to an amazing woman, and all he could was moan about the women that wouldn't love him. Yeah. Like, I have no time. I have no time for yeah. Percy Shelley. He just whines. Or the Brontes. We had a like a fantastic piece mm. on the website last year. Um, Jodie McGregor wrote it about how the Brontes kind of were role-playing in their own world. So mm. it would have been amazing to, to play with them and mm. kind of visit their world. But yeah, thank you for your question. That was an interesting one. Mm, that was a good one. Uh, from Kirsty, hi, Dacebreaker. I hope you're having a good festive time. Well, thank you, Kirsty. We hope you had a good end to the year. Uh, my family and I have really enjoyed playing the crew over this weird year. Are there any similar trick-taking games you could recommend while we wait for the sequel game? Kirstie. Oh, there is. Um, is it the fox? Fox in the, in the forest. Fox in the forest is the fox first one the that forest. came to mind. It's so good. <laughs> It's very good. It's very, very good. It's it is. I still a, haven't tried it, but I I never stop hearing people recommend it. It is a two-player game. It's yeah, it's like Whisk, but like it, cards have certain abilities and powers, and it is exactly the kind of game where you stick on some music, you have a drink, and you just play that for like, and then before you know it, it's been like an hour of playing Fox of the Forest. But you can also play yeah. it for just like fifteen minutes or something. It's a really There's, good um, game. There's a competitive game that's it's kind of trick takey, um, but sort of not as well. <laughs> called Red Seven, which mm. I don't know if you've played it, 
where it's like uh, you have a hand of cards and they range from one to seven in seven different colors. Uh, and each, each like the numerical value and the color values have like a hierarchy. So obviously seven is better than one and two and three, uh, three is better than two, etc. But like red is the strongest color, then orange, then yellow, like that kind of thing. Um, and the way it works is there is like a, a rule card in the center because every uh, card, depending on what color it has, um, also has like a rule at the bottom. So it could be like red seven, uh, the highest card wins, or it could be uh, the person with the most cards that have a value under four or whatever. So on your game, on your turn, sorry, you just have to be winning by the end of your turn. So you can either play to your uh, tableau in front of you and say, all right, well now I've just put down a card that's higher the value than yours, so I win now. Or you can physically change the rule of the game, um, which is really, really weird because there's also, once you get used to it, the, the proper rules, but depending on what cards you place down, it will have an effect. So you have this weird puzzle where you're just like, okay, I can put down a seven, but I'll be forced to get rid of something else, or I'll put down a three, which allow me to put down another card, but then I need to change the rule to do this, and it's really good. It's a lot of fun. Hmm. I was actually trying to think of more, but I'm struggling. I don't think no no thanks doesn't really fall under it, does it? Because it doesn't really have trumps or yeah. No. It's just I, Red Seven was a bit of a stretch, to be fair. I think I don't play a whole lot of trick taking games. There's a card game. I suspect it's not actually called. It's probably got like seven different names, just like card games that have existed for God knows how long. Mm. But there's this card game that my family and I play called Old Maid. Which yeah. I think has like yeah, like I said, five different names. So uh it it's just like yeah, set of playing cards, you deal them out equally and then um hearts are worth points which you don't want. You want to you know, have the fewest points possible and then the Queen of Spades uh is worth thirteen points. So you just play like a series of trick taking rounds, uh and then if you win hearts, so if you win like the trick with hearts in them you get those hearts which is something you don't want so it's very much like a game where it's all about testing like okay how many of you know how many diamonds do you think people have how many like clubs do you think people have and like playing a certain suits and just testing okay like because once you run out of a suit you can play any card you like which is when people start you know, throwing out hearts and the Queen of Spades and everything. So it's a very... It's a game that's been passed down in my family for, like, years. So, um, yeah. It's probably called something else, maybe. I think Old Maid is... Yeah, Old Maid is what it's called. There is a game... and I was just trying to search for it and I can't find it at all. I remember there being a game that was based on it relatively recently, but mm. I now can't find it anywhere. Yeah. Oh, it's so. a mystery. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, trick taking games is one of those things. I feel like we're almost due a resurgence. I mean, maybe we'll see it after the crew because the crew, you know, has been mm. such a success that maybe we'll see folks looking at that. But I think the fact the crew works because it combines it with other factors like the inability I, to communicate. And I feel like the biggest thing with trick taking games that kind of stops people playing them is the the concept of of how you play a trick taking game is actually really kind of difficult to describe. Because um, I, I remember playing uh, like a couple of trick-taking games at like a, a convention once, and you'd always have the person who's describing the game, and they'd be like, 
okay, do you know what trick-taking is? And whenever someone said no, they'd go, Ugh. okay. Yeah, because <laughs> you're like, the, the ob- a lot of the time, so with Old Mate, the thing that makes that complicated is that a lot of the time you don't want to win the tricks. Mm. That's mm. the point. Like, you, because then whoever wins the trick then has to play the next card, like, first. It's always better when you're following. So, like, that concept of you don't want to win, like, that that round uh it's it's confusing because it goes against the natural like inclination of yeah i want to win like Mm. Mm. games are a a sort of a strange one but yeah maybe we'll we will see a a new resurgence yeah i'm interested about that new crew to see whether or how different it is whether it's just kind of new missions with a similar vibe or whether quest for planet 10 (laughs) what's it called it's called something underwater oh it's a deep sea one isn't Mm. it yeah yeah yeah, uh, I remember. I remember saying that they'd done it specifically to upset Johnny because yeah. there's probably whales in it. <laughs> whales in it. Yeah. Uh, all right, Wills, would you like to read this last one from Swordross, please? Yeah. Um, Hello, Dicebreaker. Do you think the six-sided die is overused? There are some games I feel where only having six sides limited what they could do with the game. Do you think this is more toward game design or balance? Maybe the statistics probability is not as easily accessible for the more multi-sided dice from Sordros. Thank you for the question. Um, we did, we actually spoke about dice on a previous podcast and sort of like what our favourite one was. Um, and I think D6, the, probably the reason that they're so well, um, like so well used in, in a lot of games is one, they're incredibly accessible. Like you can you can get a D, if you've ever owned a crap board game, it's probably got a D6 in it. Like you'll, you'll find a D6 somewhere. Mm. Um, they're also, as you said in the, in the question, Sordros, there's not that many uh, results on a d6 which makes it a little bit easier to predict um but also just the fact that you know the the d6 is um probably the most common die because because it fell into that kind of area there's actually an interesting thing with dice where like if you buy a d6 they're always really well weighted whereas with other dice it's kind of like it, it's just based on luck whether or not you're going to get a die that actually sort of rolls really well uh, the D6 is the only one that factories really put any effort into actually making sure that it's it's properly weighted. Um, because a lot of, like, you buy a D20, it's just sort of, like, you know, made in a factory without all that much care to it, I think. <clears throat> Whereas there's kind of, like, a an approved, like, dimension for the D6. It's, it's kind of been refined very well. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, it's like playing cards. It's one of those things that's so accessible to everyone that it's a, it's a good thing to use for game design, I think. But it is... Um, it is sort of like, I guess, you know, like if, if a lot of people use the same thing, it can get tiring after a while, right? Which is probably the, the thing you're feeling with it. But there's there's a lot of ways you can use dice. I think it's more, how it's more of an interesting them. question to me, like how you yeah, use them. Yeah, exactly. The where it's like, are you just rolling it and seeing what the result is? Or are you, are you using it like a counter? Are you rolling like multiple dice and taking the best result, like Blades in the Dark or that kind of thing? Um, but yeah, I, I really like D8s personally. I think they're really nice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Matt. I don't care for the D8 wheels. I like D8s as well, wheels. Don't worry. D8 um, feels D8 like give a you the cool pyramid of a D4 without the non-rollability of yeah. a D4. <laughs> D4 suck universally. Like no yeah, D4s are just roll. terrible. D4. Yeah, D4s are good counters. It's a Lego um, brick, but never roll them. No. It's yeah. a terrible thing to roll. Mm. Comet think... is still. I'm still amazed by Comet using D4s as a pyramid. I, I, it it's... blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, I think D6s. They're also one of the really nice things about them is they're like, like you say, they're accessible because of 
mass production and so on, but they're also visually very accessible. Yeah. Yes. Like so often you have dice that have a greater number of sides, but because they're having to put the numbers rather than pips, they can just become illegible. Mm. And it just is hor- like cheap cheap dice that you can't read just mm. cause frustration. Mm. And there's just something very immediate about you can look at a D6 and almost straight away you can be like, that's a four because it's one in each corner or that's a three because it's mm. a diagonal slash. Mm. Like you, you, It's just a very quick thing rather than squinting at a D20 <laughs> yeah. and trying to it's work a nice, it out. It's a nice marrying of symbols which make them easy <clears> to read, but also they're symbols that are made out of the amount of yeah uh, value they have right so it's a slash but also it's three dots so you can you can count or you can recognize the symbol also visually impaired people can just feel the the amount on there as well which is huge so like they they are super accessible in more ways than one which i think is why they're so um universal yeah i think pretty much echoing what they've said like it's got the accessibility but it rolls far better than a d4 so you get the most of both worlds yeah. So, like, RPGs are there to use different dice. Like, that's fine. Like, uh, you know, like, I think it's... Sometimes I think some RPGs just pick certain dice just because they want to try and do something different, which is yeah. fine. To... Like, um, you know, I suppose trying to stand out and be unique in some way. And also, like, you think about it, RPGs, the the scope of potential results in terms of what could happen is far greater than what you'd potentially get in a board game in terms of like from this to this like this could happen or etc whereas like board games don't work like that so it makes more sense that they do use something like a d6 because it's more about the numbers itself rather than like a range like rpgs often do it so yeah d6s are all right in this house yeah, there's something <laughs> very satisfying as well where there's a game because some games go pure minimalism. It's like you have one or two dice, you know, you roll them and that's all you get. But there's also something to be said for games Loads. where you gain dice through different traits or abilities, mm, and yeah. then you have like twenty d six, and you're just <laughs> lobbing it and just watching it rain onto the table. Yeah, and... that's pretty much the only reason people play Warhammer. Yeah, exactly. Because they yeah. get to roll four hundred d six. Yeah, d six just has a really satisfying shape, feels great to mm. roll, and it's accessible. That's why they yeah. use them. Is yeah. I would also say just to because uh, we were talking about you only use certain dice sometimes just because they're different. One thing I do really love on a d ten. Is the fact that it's literally a percentage in in tens mm. of how likely you are to succeed. So you have to roll an eight or lower in a, on a d10. You have an eight percent chance of success. Yeah, that is super readable statistics wise. Yeah, which mm. is another really yeah. cool thing. D10s so like, are fine. D6s yeah. are fine. D8s are fine. The others. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Jarvis is tweaking. What's it's... your favorite die, Matt Jarvis? Uh, I think like the D six is very dependable, right? Like it's yeah. it's and you always have them. Like if you lose them, you always have mm. one nearby. And I also like games that because it's so recognisable, they can play. So like Betrayal at House on the Hill uses D sixes, but it's blank one or two pips. Yeah. Mm. So it takes that familiar form factor. I've got to sound pretentious, don't I? It takes the familiar <laughs> form factor and makes it. But it does. It feels different. It mm. feels distinct to yeah. that game, but yeah. it's still something that you recognise straight away looking at it. You know, also, like Root, Root doesn't use D six, but it uses custom D tens or D D12, twelves, maybe, um, where they only go from zero to three. 
Yeah. And that's again, it's like it's it feels different and it feels fresh to that game, but it's still familiar enough. D twenty I think is a little too fiddly, like it's fine. I just but... think D twenties are so difficult to read in yeah. in so many different ways. Mm. Like it's there's even just the fact that they've doubled the amount of numbers to a D ten, it completely messes in my head when it comes to probabilities. Uh the amount of like two um two digit numbers that you have to cram onto sides means that they have to be really small and you can't read them as well yeah. and it just like it gets cocked easy like it just i don't think they're very good dice <laughs> i yeah. i i have just one thing to say i hate d12s that is all i hate d12s i hate d12s it's big, uh, it's big. i like them it's a big statement. Yeah, it's a big statement. I can never find them. I can never find them in my bag. I don't know whether I'm stupid or it's just D12s have <laughs> a problem. They but. do sort of feel like a smaller D20. That is yeah, I think that's. What, it's like you pick them up thinking it's a D10, and it's not. Like they're too easy <laughs> to get confused. I think top tier is D6 and D10. Then like I don't know everything else below that. Who yeah, cares? yeah, you're you're treading dangerous <laughs> Matt, territory. Matt just realised that you would have to say that D8s are good, and you immediately <laughs> aborted. <laughs> The D8s are fine. They're better than D4s, they're better than D20s. But they're just... I mean, what's the point of them? Just roll a D6 or roll a D10. They look cool. It's the in-between It's the in between die. Nobody needs it. They look so cool. Add two more sides or take away two. You don't You don't need eight. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Be realistic. You're kidding yourself if you think you need eight sides. Imagine Matt Jarvis saying all of this to a D8. Just like pointing at it going, come on. Add two sides or take away. <laughs> I, you know, I can tolerate it without respecting it. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, thank you for your questions. Uh, or if you've got a question for the podcast, you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com. Uh, of course, you can find us on dicebreaker.com at join dicebreaker on Twitter or youtube.com slash dicebreaker. Speaking of which, Wheels, <gasps> Michael Wheels, Wheel and Wheels of the video team. It's your judgment day. Wheels. Come on. Uh, what have we got coming up? Well, Matt, as you know, this has been <laughs> a difficult week to fill because uh, it's just me on the video team. Uh, so up in the air, really. But <laughs> this will be out on Friday. So yesterday we would have done uh, a live stream. Mm-hmm. What was on that live stream? Who knows? This weekend there will not be any Dungeon Breaker because we haven't recorded uh, the next session. And I think we're are we going into a season break, right? Uh, I believe we are going into a season yeah, break. Yeah, so <gasps> we'll event- the week after... Hopefully we'll have a brand new RPG system that we're playing through, which is very, very exciting. Um, but for now, just it's a lucky dip. <laughs> the wheels are spinning up, literally, I guess. Uh, the yes. wheels are spinning out of control. <laughs> we're, we're getting back into the swing of things for 2021. Yeah. But yes, we'll we'll have some stuff on the way. So go and check out uh, YouTube. You'll just have to look at the channel every Facebook. single day. Yeah. Uh, that seems like a perfectly normal yeah. thing to do. Or if you've mm-hmm. not watched any of the videos we've released over the holidays, mm. catch up catch now, up. for goodness yeah. sake. Come yeah. on. Lowly Quick, before a... somebody spoils it for you on, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lowly said a very good uh, highlights reel of, mm-hmm. of the first year and a bit it was of Dicebreaker. I can't believe it, the first year and a bit. But oh. yeah, it, uh, it, you, we've done a lot, it turns out, in a, in a year where there was a lot. Mm. Uh, there's been we put out a lot of stuff I mean Dungeon Breaker only started about this time last year which is weird wild so yes so go and check out that if you've missed anything and of course there are more than enough videos um, yeah just press play and just let it go yeah (laughs) just 
you know, treat yourself to a random video. Why not rewatch something? Yeah. Uh, and you can also find our picks for games of the year, it's worth saying, because uh, I don't know if we, we did a podcast on it. Um, but there is a list video where we've each picked our favorite game of 2020. Mm. Yeah, you can. Uh, mine's green. You, you, <laughs> Yours you is can... green. Yeah. You can see you can see me uh, say root by accident. <laughs> <laughs> root, the game. My game of the year is scythe. Meanwhile, well, on dicebreaker.com, well, well, yeah, we uh, we have up already as you read this um, a piece. Uh, where Jamie Taylor played Terraforming Mars with the executive director of the Mars <gasps> Society, which is an organiza- organization dedicated to uh, basically researching the possibility of humanity living on Mars, um, which is really interesting. It turns out that Terraforming Mars actually is surprisingly true to science in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, Lucinda Offer um, found it, like, other than the fact you're competing with each other, which, you know, humanity, but... Uh, it turns out that it's it's pretty true to what we'll actually need to do if we plan on settling the red planet someday. One uh, one step that um, terraforming Mars doesn't really go mm. into, which I think is going to be really important when we get to that part of society, mm. is uh, we might want to hire an art director. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Is that a scathing indictment oh! on terraforming Mars? Yeah. Oh my it's, goodness! It's not a it's pretty an game, but it's an efficient game. game. <laughs> I like the yeah. I like the box cover. I think the box cover looks nice. I just yeah, not seen fine. any of the components. Yeah, the components, also the quality of the components. Mm. Let's hope that whatever kind of weird bubble things we're living in on Mars are made out of better stuff than the components of terraforming Mars. <laughs> uh, otherwise, we'll be finding ourselves drifting off into space or burning up or freezing or whatever happens on Mars. I'm not a scientist. What do I know? Uh, <laughs> stop asking me. Stop sending me emails. <laughs> stop sending your questions in about settling Mars. Um, yeah, and we'll also have some some other stuff. The usual kind of lists, guides articles features we'll be looking at some of the stuff uh coming up in 2021 uh alex means already put together a couple of summaries uh, which you may have already read but if you've not you should go and check them out kind of some of the board games and tabletop rpgs coming up this year mm. uh, some exciting stuff in there and yeah. maybe just maybe you'll see us playing some of it and writing about some of it <gasps> in the very near future but who could say <laughs> other than us i'm telling you right now it'll it'll be here yeah um we'll be but, here for this week, that is the Dicebreaker podcast. Uh, thank you for being back, Michael Wills, Wheel and Wills. Thank you for having me, Matthew Jar- Jarvis, Matthew Jarvis, Embryo Machines. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh no, you, that's my like. Oh, God. What's the nickname? secret word? Like sleeper agent word. <laughs> um. <laughs> Does that mean you're going into some sort of rampage for your? Go I, it's whatever I've been programmed to do by big board game. <laughs> uh, I'm going to write positively about uh, First Martians, despite the fact that it's a terrible game and no one should play. Alex Meehan, thank you for being here as well. Yeah, I'm bringing Chopper back. Du, du, du. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't Bleak. sue us, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Timberlake. Or... Yeah, yeah, he, he listens. Yeah. Yeah, everyone does. But uh, thank you for thank you for being here. It's good to be back in 2021. Uh, we will be back, of course, next Friday with more rambling about God, whatever's on our mind next yeah. week, I suppose, and maybe some board games and RPG stuff as who knows? as well. But who knows? Uh, we will be back. Um, thank you for listening. We hope you're staying safe out there, whatever the situation may be. You know, stay safe, stay healthy, look after those around you. Um, we'll be back. But for now, thank you for listening. And until we meet again, have a lovely day. Bye. Bye.